This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Tonight, as Sarawak moves towards autonomy over its health sector, we look at the benefits of federalization versus decentralization. So, we're going to be hearing from Trisha Yeo about exactly that, especially in terms of historical context, but also what the pros and cons would be. And we want to hear from you. Would you prefer if your state government had more power? And what kind of developments would you like to see from that? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U mobile number zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. This is Inside Story. It is 6.08 and our inside story today is um, in some ways a follow-up from yesterday's story about Sarawak getting full autonomy over its health sector. Now that is on its way to happening. We also know that um, discussions are having around education similarly also being taken under the Sarawak state government. So this got us thinking about um, this idea of certain states perhaps wanting more of a hand in deciding um more of a hand in these sorts of matters, right? Education, health, and not not just the areas that have traditionally been viewed as state-related matters. Sure, but in our conversation yesterday, actually, one of the key issues that came up was, well, why not others then? Mm. Um, or So what makes Sarawak, quote-unquote, special? Um, I think... We touched on yesterday um, why there's historical why there's historical precedent for this or why there are historical reasons for the push. There's also the question of wealth and size and you know any number of things that you could bring up. But uh, the point did remain: what what is beneficial about decentralization? And as we embark on this, maybe not an experiment, but as we embark on this next step, what would that mean for other states in terms of trying to claim that kind of autonomy as well over specific aspects of services? And when you say services, actually, it is perhaps helpful to look at um, what those are that sit under federal. I mean, amongst other things, and, and I think it's to no one's surprise, it involves things that have wide ranging impact, things like education, health, defense, education and health, of course, now Sarawak has autonomy or soon will have autonomy over, but also the justice system, issues of citizenship, uh, civil and criminal law. You know, I find tourism quite interesting tourism, because yeah. um, tourism sits under federal and and that makes sense, um, but you can also think about very specific uh, specific state-led initiatives when it comes to issues of tourism. Yes, so part of that also means that there will be greater autonomy when, if a state is responsible for its own initiatives versus what it means to have to refer to Putrajaya yes. and to sit under them when it comes to directives, right? Whereas if you look at the things that often fall under state matters, this includes things like land issues, um, agriculture and forestry, state holidays, to no one's Price, really. Mm-hmm. But to your point, Lynn, um, you know, yes, it has to do with Sarawak occupying a certain space within uh, Malaysia. Literal and figurative, yeah. Yeah, but we've also, of course, heard of other states... Um, not necessarily pushing for, but floating the idea of having more autonomy. Johor comes to mind, for instance, right? Um, and so 
there is some, uh, I suppose there is some value in looking at what this means for this larger idea of governance in Malaysia. Yes. Um, also, I think worth saying, you mentioned responsibility, but there is um, yesterday in talking about uh, Sarawak having more autonomy over health, the question arose of, so where's the money coming from? And, and it was pointed out by one of the guests that as Sarawakians continue to pay tax, where the money comes from, how it's being dispersed, um, how much of that comes from federal, how much of it comes from other spaces, is an interesting one to, to ask and consider Again, if we're headed on that path. So after this, we'll be joined by Dr. Trisha Yeo, CEO of Ideas, to discuss this uh, issue. But we want to hear from you. Would you prefer if your state government had more power? And what sort of developments would you like to see from that? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bole for Malaysia. Ha. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6.13. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're discussing the pros and cons um, of federalization versus decentralization when it comes to our approach to governance. So we want to hear from you. Would you prefer if your state government had more power? What kind of developments would you like to see from that? You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us. Joining us now on the line is Dr. Trisha Yeo, CEO of Ideas. Trisha, Good to have you with us. Hi, Shamila. Thanks for having me. So yesterday we spoke about the move to decentralize uh, health services in Sarawak. Could you give us some background on the centralization of government in our country to begin with and how it's been weighted towards the federal? Yes, thank you. Um, there's actually a, a long history of this. If you think back into you know pre-colonial Malaya, the the states were actually the the main source of how things were functioning, right? Um, the states had allegiance to their sultans. Um, we didn't ha- actually have any form of a central government then. And it was really only much later um, after the British came and there was an effort to, to centralize, um, partly due to, I think you could call it modernization. So the the technocrats, those who were managing Malaya's early economy, they were the ones who were convinced that centralization was the way forward. Um, They felt that building this modern unified state um, would be better than actually having these small Malay states that were separately um, functioning on their own. So it really was this... This, this tension between um, centralized uh, economic argument versus allegiance to the individual states and, and the sultanates. Um, where, where things eventually became federal or, or centralized was when uh, you had the eventual Federation of Malaya Agreement in 1948. But even then, over the years, and well, or rather since then, um, we've seen a lot of erosion uh, into into where the states actually have become weaker and weaker over time. So some examples would be where the local elections were were abolished, um, where you know a lot of the policies that eventually emerged out of this, you know, new states, new new Malaya, new Malaysia as as well. After that, um, all these policies, although exciting, were were steps that eventually centralized how 
Malaysia looks like today. So another great example is in the 1970s when uh, the Raza administration implemented the new economic policy. All of that was actually the central government making decisions on behalf of the entire country, right? So what happened was you had states that, um, so the federal government introduced what was called the, the State Economic Development Corporations or the SEDCs. And the SEDCs were meant to empower the states to, to give them development uh, in the name of development. But actually the federal government had always access to these corporations because you had a representative of the federal government sitting on the boards of these SEDCs. Um, and I can give you many examples, but the point is that in, in the beginning, you had yeah these disparate states, um, and it was in the name of modernization, development, economic economic development, particularly um, that the the whole country became much more centralized when it comes to public policy uh, making as well as implementation. And how has the decision to centralize services like uh, education and health, which are essential, shaped our country and our policies? So it's it's become so central to everything, right? I mean, pardon the pun, because Putrajaya is the one that determines everything, uh, even the, the smallest things. So I think something that's very commonly uh, said, but which is still true, is that can you imagine you have uh, an administrator in the Putrajaya office making decisions over, you know, bus lanes and bus routes um, in in a state that's far away or uh, making decisions over what kind of things schools will teach in, in small rural kampongs and villages um, as far away as uh, in Kelantan or Trungano. So that's actually how it takes place. Um, in reality, there's no efficiency in the kind of decision-making process. Um, a, a, another example would be when, you know, remember we, we went through uh, the COVID pandemic, um, the, the kind of requests for medical equipment would take a really long time. So the hospitals would have to go through these very um, cumbersome processes of making this application and, and it will take weeks and weeks. So the needs that are very specific to that zone or state, I think there's very um, little room to maneuver. Uh, and then also going back to education, I think, you know, Ideas has also argue, long argued for things like more school autonomy, but how is this going to be possible when even um, the district and the state offices are actually arms of the Ministry of Education? Um, I think the best way to answer that question is that it's actually the opposite of this principle of subsidiarity, which I think I've talked about um, on this show, where you take the lowest common denominator and that's the ideal public service delivery method. Um, and right now we've got like the opposite of that, right? So it's sort of actually uh, inverted. So you you sort of touched on it there a little. Are there specific services that would benefit from decentralization within the Malaysian context? And conversely, what do you think should remain under federal control? Yeah, so you can actually look at this um, table, which I can't show the audience, but it's in front of me, um, where it compares the various federations around the world. So, of course, Malaysia is not the only federation. Um, so we actually have many other country comparators to look at. Um, and I think I think in most cases, so it goes without saying that there are big policy areas that the federal government obviously should maintain and should retain. 
And this is consistent throughout other federations. So you're looking at things like defense, foreign affairs, international trade. Um, interestingly, irrigation as well. Um, many of these countries uh, still retain irrigation under federal control. I think it's just because you know it's historically the case and maybe it just serves more efficiency when the irrigation um, is, is controlled at the center. But in many of the other cases, uh, most should actually be concurrent. So in many cases, they are combined, right? So that several layers of government actually have control. Um, in Malaysia, we have three layers. Uh, people also often forget that there's a local government layer. And if the federal, state, and local governments are in charge of areas as wide-ranging as uh, healthcare, education, uh, agriculture, uh, public resources, natural, yeah, natural resources, environment, public transport, um, you know, that shared and concurrent responsibilities could actually be the ideal outcome. Um, because I, I know the conversation is about decentralization, where you give the states more autonomy, but perhaps we're not quite ready for that. But but maybe what we can start talking about is um, increasing the, the items that are actually on the concurrent list. Uh, so the federal concurrent and state list, all of this, is spelled out in the ninth schedule of the federal constitution. Um, I think something that might be useful to think about and explore is to conduct the review of this schedule, uh, whether it is really time that um, the, the items, the, the, the areas that each level is responsible for, um, can it be reviewed? I mean, especially I think COVID, going back to that era, uh, there was a lot of discussion about whether public health and healthcare in general uh, should that be decentralized for more efficient decision making, right? Being able to know uh, real time, like what is happening on the ground, which are the communities that are most um, affected. And I think you're talking about information exchange that could more readily be uh, be used for maximum efficiency. So um, if we look at Sarawak at the moment, healthcare and education are the two that are in the process of being decentralized. Why focus on these two sectors? Healthcare and education, I mean, okay, even if you look at the, the size of the ministries at the federal level, um, the Ministry of Healthcare and Education are always the two ministries that get the, the largest budgets, um, that, has the, that have the largest number of civil servants attached to them, uh, simply because these are the two public services that really do have direct impact and real-time um, service contact with the bulk of the population, right? And so I think the focus on these two sectors is simply that they, they matter a lot. Uh, they matter a lot to people. Um, everyone has a family member or yourself who has gone to school, you have a child who goes to school, um, or, who, or who needs healthcare services. So it's something that, that touches every single person. And... Um, yeah, I think it's really fascinating, actually, to see the developments that are happening in Sabah and Sarawak, um, definitely in these two sectors. But but I think they're also taking a step further, right? I mean, we also have to talk about what they're doing with regards to oil and gas. So um, development is economic development and, and sort of like the decision over macroeconomic policy, again, is traditionally um, the the jurisdiction of the federal government. And, and I think Sabah and Sarawak, Sarawak most particularly, 
seems to be um, making strides ahead to not challenge, but perhaps to initiate, uh, come up with their own initiatives, um, whether or not, right, like regardless of what's contained in the constitution. And at this point, I do have to say that Sabah and Sarawak do have very different arrangements vis-a-vis um, -vis the federal government compared to the other states in Malaya. Uh, and what's also very important to say at this stage is that if we want to talk about decentralization and state autonomy, we do need to talk about states in general and not just think about Sabah and Sarawak. So, you know, states in peninsula also can benefit from this conversation. So actually... Um, our guest from yesterday, Dr. Melissa Lim, who is a member of the Society for Cancer and Awareness, Kuching, spoke about the benefits of this move, right? And this included the accessibility for rural folks, better healthcare delivery, improved cost efficiency. But then on the downside, things like fragmentation in terms of coordination and standardization. Now, looking at all these different aspects of decentralization, for states that do want to push towards autonomy, what are the different elements that need to be balanced? The big elephant in the room is the issue of funding. Um, I think when we talk about decentralization, there are experiments that have also gone wrong around the world. I mean, let's admit that um, So the, the original argument for decentralization was efficiency, right? And this is where there was a big movement towards decentralization all around the world. Um, even unitary states that were not federated um, in system, so states like Indonesia is a good example, uh, Philippines, these two countries went through massive decentralization wave. Um, and there's been scores of papers that have been written to calculate like have these trends actually been worth the while, right? Like worth that tremendous amount of effort and so on. Um, in short, I think the consensus is that you cannot give autonomy without linking it with the question of funding and support, meaning that if you want to provide states more autonomies or decentralize the administrative aspects of it, uh, we also need to think about how do we decentralize the fiscal aspects of it. Um, I just wrote a, a paper on fiscal federalism where we rethink the entire structure of how funds are transferred from the federal to the state government. So right now, state governments receive um, you know, grants and loans from the federal government. But these grants are not really set in stone. I think that the, the only formula, uh, the only grant that has a formula would be the Rhodes grant, which is MARIS, and the capitation grant, which is basically just based on, on, the, on, the, on the demographics, right, the population. Um, so if you think about whether there needs to be a rethink of how state and maybe even local governments, but let's not get there yet, um, how states raise funding. Um, would there be a case in the future where states can raise their own taxes? Can they impose their own taxes? Um, you know, we talk about consumption tax, like we have the SST now at the federal level. Um, would states also be able to do that in the future? So this is done in, in countries like Australia, like Pakistan, um, right now, states can raise, but they they need to get the approval from, from the federal government. And that sometimes is very restrictive in nature. Uh, perhaps a proportion of income tax as well. Um, that's another idea. Uh, previously, there was a move to return half of the tourism tax to states. Um, and it started during the PH 1.0 administration. 
but I'm not sure if it's continued now. And just one last thing on this note is that um, there's been a new form of, of transfer given to states. It's called the Ecological Fiscal Transfers. Um, it's been increased to 150 million ringgit during the tabling of Budget 2023 by Prime Minister uh, Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim. And the idea is that the federal government gives the states money um, in exchange of not cutting down their trees because natural resources is the domain of state governments. And it's really interesting, right? Um, obviously, if you have very little money at your disposal, what are you going to do? And natural resources like trees and land are under your control. Um, you know, you, you actually can make an argument that that this is not going to be sustainable. If we're, if you're talking about, you know, climate uh, resilience for the future, then certainly the whole fiscal arrangement between the federal and the state government needs to be addressed if we want to talk about sustainability as well. Trisha, thanks for speaking with us today. That was Dr. Trisha Yeo, CEO of Ideas. Let us know, would you prefer if your state government had more power? What kind of developments would you like to see from that? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here. BFM 89.9. Building Fit Malaysians, BFM 89.9. It is 6.38. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we've been talking about um, federalization versus decentralizing. Um, and we've been asking you, would you prefer if your state government had more power? And what kind of developments would you like to see come from that? You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 18 Tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, we're talking about this because Sarawak um, is finally moving towards um, first autonomy over healthcare and hopefully, eventually, over their education as well. Um, and so that got us thinking about what it might mean for states to have more say over various aspects, right? Um, so we have actually some messages that are specific to Sarawak coming in. Let's start with this voice note from Sabrina. Uh, my parents live in Miri. Uh, we just visited them last month. Sarawak has a lot of resources, but uh, they need to give it to the federal government, which I think is unfair. Uh, for example, the f entrance fee for the Mulu and Nia um, national parks, and they have to give it to the uh, to the federal government, which is unfair because uh, they need to run the place. So the money collected should be put into maintaining the place and all that they they know their own resources uh, what needs to be done how much things cost so i think uh, not only Sarawak if the states want more autonomy then why should Putrajaya uh, determine and dictate the states they know their own problems so health is also the same thing I mean, it's good that the cancer center is going to be built, but it's high time. Uh, a lot of our patients have to go to Kuala Lumpur for complex procedures. So it's it's uh, there's a discrepancy in um, health equity. Good on Sarawak. So Sabah should follow suit as well. 
Sabrina, thank you for that. And it's interesting that you brought up Sab- uh, Sabah as well, because of course, both Sabah and Sarawak are, you know, finally um, seeing some fruition from the ME63 agreements. Yes, um, which is actually a point that's being raised by a few people. So um, Christopher says, hi, I thought all of the Sarawak autonomy requests are related to ME63. Thanks. And actually, I mean, this is what we were alluding to earlier, that there, there are historical reasons mm. for why it is that Sarawak can move in the direction that it's currently moving in. And even that is hard-won ground, right? Because there have been promises made over any number of years and yes. not necessarily the um, the meeting of those promises. So, I mean, yes, that, that's true. We also have Abs who says, I would just like to point out that Sarawak, and Sabah for that matter, is not just a state. It has been elevated to a wilaya. It's a step forward to realising MA63 promises. Sarawak's autonomy cannot be equated with other state governments asking for more power. With Peninsula not understanding the cultural and socio-economic background of Sarawakins and Sabahans, who are su- who are supposed to be equal partners with the West, autonomy in public health, education, etc. is not just necessary, but has actually been guaranteed in ME63. The discussion centred on the premise that Sarawak is just another state asking for more power is dangerous and does not reflect the true position. So, um, Abs, thank you so much for that background and also for giving us an opportunity, I think, to reiterate the uh, the central premise of the show. Because in case you missed it, uh, yesterday we did a uh, we we did quite a actually expansive interview on the subject of Strawak's move towards health autonomy, right? Autonomy in health, uh, speaking to people on the ground. And in there, we acknowledged this issue that it is a wilaya or territory, it's not a state and and so on and so forth. Um, But actually, as a result of that discussion, people started wondering about their own states. And so we thought it would be a helpful discussion to talk about it from not just an MA63 perspective, but also from what it might mean for states on the peninsula, while still acknowledging that you're absolutely right. That is the position of Sarawak and Sabah. Yes, and and I think actually while... This is something that has been guaranteed in the MA63 and we are seeing it being fulfilled. I don't think that the concept of a decentralised government is something uh, that only applies to Sabah Sarawak, right? Yeah. It's something that we can discuss, particularly in terms of would it improve governance? Would it in fact offer an alternative way to look at how state versus federal power lies? Uh, so, I mean, if we look at other countries, right? So if you have, for example, uh, America, I think is the example that springs most to mind because states have a lot of power um, in, in those instances. If you think of a country like uh, Spain, for example, there are actually many countries that that don't necessarily have the kinds of distinctions we're trying to talk about, the difference between the state and the territory, um, but nonetheless operate in a decentralised way. So I think what we're trying to do today is just have that conversation. What would a decentralised government look like? So send your thoughts through. Would you prefer if your state government had more power? What kind of developments would you like to see from that? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 tweet us at BFM Radio. Breaking Financial Matters BFM 89.9 BFM 89.9. It is 6.50. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're asking you, would you prefer if your state government had more power? 
what kind of developments would you like to see from that? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start with a voice note. This is from Bing. And how much autonomy you want to give the state right now is a very fine balance between federal and state. Right. I, I would hope that, you know, whichever way possible for faster approval, less bureaucracy, work check will be the winner here. Right? And also over harvesting of forests, causing you know floods and landslides. Well, that's a state issue, correct? But then again not controlled well. So federal policies can never be implemented. So think about the bigger space of things whereby ESG-related activities, COP28, whereby it's a country policy, they're trying to get these things across the line. But if you have state abusing some of these things, which they have some form of autonomy, especially with land, right? how can we align ourselves with international rules and games and policies? So it's a very, very fine balance. Lah, right? But what's causing all this hoo-ha is basically the level of bureaucracy within the country right so if your state you really cannot tahan what do you think about the districts the municipals Bing thank you for that well I think of course, I, I can't answer um, from the point of view how it might work with Malaysia because we haven't yet managed to do that. But if we look at, say, the example of the US, for instance, areas like foreign policy, foreign relations, international human rights law sits outside of the state's control and is in fact controlled by the centre. So I think you know the, the 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 problems that you the issues that you bring up may not necessarily prove to be as challenging yeah i, I think however that um i'm glad being that you brought up bureaucracy because i think in many ways it, again if we're extending this to a more nationwide conversation and not necessarily just the fact that these are things that were promised to uh, Saban Sarawak for instance then bureaucracy really is a, a pain point I, I think that we see this time and time again and whether or not so so I think there is a question worth asking whether um, bringing it to a state level, if you bring a certain, the same bloated processes <laughs> that lived mm. at a federal level um, and you just made it smaller. So, okay, there are fewer hoops, but the hoops remain and the hoops might might remain as uh, irrational as they were before. So the, the question of bureaucracy, I think theoretically smaller, you would think means better, but there are other considerations that need to be made about how exactly we're thinking about about efficient governance. On the flip side, though, what it would mean is that your the residents of a particular state could directly have um, a, a sort of basically a very very direct impact on how these departments or or uh, bureaucracies or these systems are run, right? Because essentially, you're voting for the government that is going to manage, let's say, the health sector in your state, um, and so that could have quite a significant change in terms of. Um, Things like who is the civil service? How do they execute their duties? And if for one particular term it wasn't satisfactory, then would the residents of that state then not have a direct hand in taking them out of power? Yeah, uh, which has always been the thing, right? Naga says, if the state government has more autonomy and such autonomy is utilised responsibly, it would benefit the people. One would see more efficiency and resources directed to where it's needed without delay and red tape. Housing, health, transport, preservation of forests and natural resources could benefit. 
Well, to be fair, forestry at the moment uh, does sit under the state government. Yeah, and, and that one ends up being contentious. Yes. But I think that Naga covers that with the um, point about if utilised responsibly, yes. which is the key point. Oh, but I find um, transport quite interesting yeah, because too. again, our guest, Atrisha, earlier referenced uh, things like bus lanes on a local level. Okay, so um, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to be that person who isn't only peninsula specific, but Klang Valley specific. Um, because I, I think that when we have these conversations, then in some ways, at least here, very specifically in our locale, uh, we are also returning to that other conversation that happens, which is whether or not KL should come back to Selangor. Uh, yes. because, because if we're talking transport, let's say, on a very simple level, then even if Selangor State, or uh, Selangor State, yes, because KL's not a state, even if Selangor State has control, full control over its transport and full autonomy, um, what does that mean when it buys when it bisects with, um, or when it meets KL. KL, yeah. Well, actually... Then we're just going to travel oddly, around and end oddly, up in Ampang. Isn't that related to the forestry problem? Yeah. Because what happens when forests intersect with two states? Who has control over... And, and actually, we, we see issues with that all the time. Water. Yeah. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of things that exist, and, and this is in a bunch of states. But I think the most immediate problem can, can be very visibly seen in KL's Lango. We have, um, I wanted to read this from Life only because it made me smile. Uh, Life says, I want my state to have more say and power, said nobody from Perlis ever. And why not Life? Maybe now is the time to think about it. You know, who is to say? I think there's so much potential for this conversation live. Please message in and say, tell us what the things in Perlis are that could benefit from more autonomy. Um, but let's see, we have Sufyan saying, up to a certain extent, I think we should welcome decentralization, give it five to ten years, and then we can see which states could actually do well or not on their own accord. I think that that's... Um, okay, firstly... On that basis alone, it's interesting. Um, but then whether each state already has sufficient, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of governance infrastructure, right? Um, even within its own setup to do well is an interesting point. That and this idea of being able to judge um, who is doing well and who isn't. Because on the one hand, that goes back to the point I was trying to make, which is each state's residents would have direct uh, a direct hand in improving their state. But on the other hand, it does mean that um, we are then going back to talking about you should vote where you live, no, not where you came from. Um, anyway, we'll pick up the conversation again after this. Keep your thoughts coming. Would you prefer if your state government had more power? What kind of developments would you like to see from that? You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can watch. WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here, BFM 89.9. Nine. Bold, fearless Malaysians, BFM 89.9, the business station. It is 7.08. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're talking about um, a, I suppose it's a, it's a building on of a story that came out this week that Sarawak is going to get autonomy over their health sector. Um, and this, of course, is enshrined in ME63 and we're seeing the fulfillment of that. But it led us to thinking about the notion of decentralizing um, various points of power to begin with um, and whether the, whether the rest of Malaysia might benefit from that decentralizing process. At this point, um, 
I will offer the clarification that, that we've been doing throughout our show because Melvin says, the common misconception that some people in the peninsula have is that if Sarawak can have this, why can't the other states? The message that you are delivering is misinforming your audience. The reason being, Sabah and Sarawak cannot be equated to a mere state in Malaya like Selangor Melaka, but rather it has the same status as the entire peninsula of Malaysia. Yes, we are a state, but it's not the same as the state of Selangor. I would appreciate if BFM fact-checks the information they're giving rather than feeding false false information and causing unnecessary discourse. Um, Melvin, um, again, uh, thank you for offering that fact check. Um, but also, we, we've said this, um, so I'm not sure if you've heard the entirety of our show. Um, we mentioned this earlier, as did our guest, Dr. Trisha Yeo. So this is absolutely something that um, we've been acknowledging and that I think, thank you for offering the opportunity to acknowledge it again, because it is an important point. Um, I think today, though, it is as much a conversation about broader decentralization as anything else. Uh, the starting point was Strawak and health autonomy. We did a show on that yesterday. Today, it's kind of extending that conversation nationwide while acknowledging that Sarawak has Sarawak and Sabah have that status. We have um, some voice notes that have come in. Let's start with this one uh, from an anonymous listener. Last month was the first time that I'd ever gone to Sarawak. And prior to that, I had the same knowledge as most Malaysians do um, about Sarawak, that it's this place that's rich in natural resources, extremely biodiverse, that's where our oil and gas companies are at. We always knew this, right? And we knew about the destruction that was taking place there. And I think, at least from a sustainability um, standpoint, it's about time um, for for Sarawak to really take control because, you know, having spoken to some of the tribes people there and knowing how they live, it's shocking, you know, like how we're taking advantage of, of the resources that they have. And we're just funneling it back to the, you know, to the federal government and it's not really going back to them. So good on them. Um, I, 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 as a Malaysian, I think this is definitely the right thing to do. Um, Anon, you actually bring up um, a lot of uh, very salient points to this conversation. And I believe um, actually part of those are, a lot of those have to do with um, why Sarawak actually has pushed uh, for its own autonomy so strongly for yes, so long. Yes, um, and how above and beyond the agreement that there are lived experiences and, you know, realities on the ground that make it the right thing to do, as you point out. I, I think what Again, um, the reason why we've been asking the question today about whether or not you want to see um, your state government be able to do something like this is partly because of that level of specificity. So with Sarawak, there's that question of environment, sustainability, health, um, education, just all these things that we've been talking about. But state by state, I think that there are specifics there too. And they will differ um, depending on, on where you're from or where you live. But it is likely that if you pay attention uh, to the world around you, that there will be things that you observe and think, huh, actually, I, I feel as if, if if we had more direct power and intervention in something like this, things could be better in my state. 
Well, Cheryl is saying states should have more authority compared to now. For instance, in education, every state has resources and the needs is different. Education needs in Sabah is very different from Selangor or Penang. How come Selangor is the richest state still has problems with overcrowding and deficient school buildings just like Sabah? Because Selangor state government has no, no authority to do anything because it's under the Federal Ministry of Education jurisdiction. So there again is that argument for, for why, but also the argument for education specifically. Mm. And uh, when we spoke to Trisha earlier and asked her that question about why it is that, at least for Sarawak, the priorities appear to be health and education first, um, she pointed out the allocation, the, the point about how, in terms of ministries and money, um, that tends to be where the money goes. And, and Cheryl, I think your message kind of speaks to that as well. We have another voice note that's come in. This is from Vicky. We have to look into how the into rebalancing the chief minister of Madrid Besar's power versus the legislature before we talk about state autonomy. We wouldn't want the uh, overly powerful head of a state, uh, whether it's the Madrid Besar or chief minister, over the legislature. The people's voice should prevail over one single man at the top. Vicky, I think that's such an interesting point to bring up. To be honest, I hadn't really thought about what this means in terms <laughs> no, of the positioning <laughs> of the Mantri Basa. Because I had um, I had looked at it, uh, and I had said this a few times already, that in fact it would place um, more of the pressure on the state government, but also then inevitably the, the head of that government to deliver. Yes, um, but the... But I think, um, Vicky, that you are speaking about things as they currently are mm. and how in different states and territories in, in our country, um, we've been able to see that disproportionate issue um, at the top and how that can result in even things that are already under state control not going as some people would argue they should. And also then when we talk about state autonomy, we might also we might we are talking about funding. increasing the power and also channeling further power yes. into a seat. So yes. that question of the power of the seat, that, that's a really good point, Vicky. Keep your thoughts coming. We are asking you, uh, would you like to see your state government have more power? What kind of developments would you like to see there? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here. BFM 89.9. Bribe-free ministers? BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 7.16. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're closing off our conversation on uh, federalization versus decentralizing and asking you, would you prefer if your state government had more power? What kind of developments would you like to see from that? You can keep sending your thoughts through. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start uh, for now with this from Sai who says... Centralized governance, centralized corruption. Decentralized governance, decentralized corruption. Choose the lesser evil, decentralized governance it is. Zai, I find this depressing. I'm not going to lie to you. I think that it's a it's a very bleak way um, of looking at something because it's, I understand, I get it, but it's looking at it from a worst case scenario, right? And which is the lesser of evils, which is the not so bad of the worst case. Yeah. I, I would prefer to think of it in terms of possibility, but I... I understand why you're looking at it that way. I, I, I don't necessarily. Well, 
I think though, actually, to go back to uh, what Vicky said earlier as well, so much of how we are going to view this is inevitably framed by the baggage we carry forward from what we know of government and and politicians, right? And but I, I agree that I think that. Um, there is merit in discussing this in a what's the best case scenario lens as well. Um, CG, for instance, says states should have more and a certain level of autonomy so that they can be rewarded if they work hard to improve their states. Uh, no point pushing no point pushing money from a hardworking state to some state that just couldn't be bothered to improve and attract FDI. I struggle a little bit with the with the depiction of states as being hardworking or uh, you know can't be bothered. I I think I think that this is speaking to state government priorities in some ways and what they've been talking about and also uh, the relative. Uh, let's see the relative economic and financial situation of different states in the country. I I'm not sure about it being every man every state and territory for themselves, though. I, I don't no. think that that's how it should be looked at. Even when we were talking about it earlier on and talking about money and, and where that might come from, it's not as if income tax just now doesn't go to anything, right? Yes. Because because there continues to be federal, federal efforts and federal initiatives. So that kind of levelling effect should still happen. We have Mizi uh, saying, in my opinion, it's like a company's organization structure, units or departments, committees, whatever label. If there's no teamwork at the micro level to the national level, no synergy in plans and policies, centralization or otherwise won't work. If we don't have consensus and objectives or action plans, it'll just be wasted effort or resources. Drop the politicking, put away the ego and power tussles, be responsible, check greed and corruption, and then God willing, we would succeed. Yeah, I I. I mean, I agree with that. Whether it's on a federal or state level, that's good, solid advice. I think, though, that um, that point about... I can't tell, actually, Mizi, whether you're arguing for a better version of centralization. Yes. Right? Um, whether if we it did sounds better to at me, it. And you can correct, us if, correct me if you're wrong, Mizi. It sounds to me like you're saying that um, there is no there is no real need or point in decentralizing if we don't have a strong center to begin if with. If we don't do better at yes. the center, yeah. Um, so I think, I mean, that's fair. Although although that also, it goes back to what people were saying earlier, right? About how we might be able to see better which states do in fact have good governance in place. And, and, so, and hold them more accountable. Ah, so mm. the thing is, while this the center might not be as strong as you would like, it doesn't mean that how am I extending this analogy that the extremities <laughs> aren't actually strong in and of themselves? We have an anonymous listener saying, uh, generally the principle of decentralization is cool and it can be a good thing. But I just hope this doesn't open up more leakages and misallocation of funds to connected local suppliers and vendors. We need a strong check and balance to avoid this. But how can this happen in a state that doesn't have opposition in their dune like Tringanu? We need to have a policy to have federal appointed PAC-like committees. I like that idea. Yeah, um, I, I do. And I, I think it's quite telling, actually, that in a conversation that began about possibility, that now, generally speaking, the messages that we're getting focused so heavily on, I hope that it doesn't lead to leakage. I hope it doesn't lead to corruption. Mm. I will choose the smaller evil of lesser corruption. Um, and I, I think it speaks to, in some ways, our mindset, which has been shaped by 
grievous theft <laughs> over <laughs> over a significant amount of years, right? Because it, it means that we are coming from a place of let's not lose more um, as opposed to possibility. And I understand it, but seeing it as a pattern, I think is, is a little bit disheartening. I'm not going to lie. But Anon, I agree with you entirely. And especially Trunganu is a good example, actually. Jingyi says, I think the conversation should be revolving around responsibility, competency and accountability. If decentralization leads to polluted water in a certain state, what's the point? Yeah. And um, water is actually such a such a loaded thing as at this point in time when we are seeing water shortages in Actually, a few different states, not mm. just one. Um, but then the other thing is polluted water. I'm glad you you threw up that example because we were speaking earlier about something like transport mm-hmm. um, and how there are certain things that do cross state borders and boundaries. And if we become too, too decentralized and different states have entirely different readings of situations, then I, actually that could lead to really just a lot of bickering. A lot of bickering. So, I mean, again, this is obviously a, a, a philosophical discussion at this point. But um, there except are, for Sarawak. Except for Sarawak. And there are models that can be looked at in terms of how this kind of cross-state um, collaborative uh, structures can be built. Uh, but... That is all the time we have for today. Um, keep your thoughts coming. Um, you can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.